Hi, welcome and thanks for listening to this episode of Handelsbank and Insights. Today we're going to talk about one of the biggest challenges to reaching the UK government's 2050 net zero commitment, how we can decarbonise the country's diverse and ageing property stock. It's a complicated, multi-dimensional question, so I'm relieved for one to be joined by someone who can help me home in on the most important issues. James Vaccaro, Director of the Sustainability Strategy Consultancy, We Pattern. James has dedicated the past two decades to climate change and green finance in senior management roles, working both for and with lenders, charities, businesses, academics and global climate organisations. So, James, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you. Now, uh, you and I, I think you'll remember, we met a little over a year ago in a Zoom room to kick off the Bankers for Net Zero initiative, yes. where your consultancy repattern is uh, what I, what I always tend to call the deep knowledge partner for us all. Um, so would you care to summarise this initiative a little bit for our listeners, broadly, who's involved, what's it actually trying to achieve and, and what's our approach been? For sure. Well, I think that the starting point for Bankers for Net Zero is that um, there's, there's in one sense quite a lot of will for everyone to be looking at decarbonisation, um, both businesses um, and finance, but the, the challenge is always going to be systemic so no one actor can do it by themselves Um, and in particular we were kind of framing it that for banks we need to think around how do we support the the banking client relationship in the context that that doesn't exist in a vacuum but it exists in the context of regulation and of primary legislation and the government strategies and uh, and and all of the sort of the, the the market practice. So whereas there are specific things which we're wanting to encourage the highest potential ambition for banks to take, and there's there's a lot of great signs. I know, I mean, Handels Bank has made some some very ambitious commitments, but it's just like how to move and to pivot from those targets and those ambitions into practical. Um, actional actions means being able to on a more collaborative basis figure out how do we get the 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 the, the rules of the game the regulations the, the carrots and sticks within the market in primary legislation um, all aligned so that that um, we can really make progress on uh, on decarbonizing the economy yeah and you talk about that collaboration it's, it's so key to all of this and and, and i think it's been interesting to see you know that the, the free open discussions going on between the lenders involved, but also all these other participants, all these other actors in the marketplace, whether it's policymakers or, uh, you know, you've got uh, NGOs involved, business representative groups, sometimes um, climate organisations. So it, it, it's, it, it's, it, you get this sort of wellspring of enthusiasm there, but, but you also get this obvious sense that we're, we're, all, we're all sort of frustratedly trying to get to that point where we can see an architecture for moving this all, whole thing forward. Indeed, and, and there's, a, there's a learning cycle. It's a bit slow as a learning cycle sometimes, but within government, for example, if you consider, and we'll talk about it later, no doubt, the, the Green Homes Grant, if you don't design things in such a way that, that aligns all of the, the stakeholders and actors, including finance sector, and that things are not kind of, you know, designed to, to, to kind of accelerate, then it ends up feeling like pushing water up a hill and policies then kind of fail and that, that one was retracted. Whereas, you know, you can 
the opposite of that when things really worked for the finance sector back in the, the days of solar feed-in tariffs. And then in some ways, everyone got surprised they were working so well that, 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 that things had to kind of uh, be reversed very quickly. So, Yeah, it's a really, to... really clear success story in all of this, isn't it? Yeah, so it's mm. a huge um, benefit to joining things up in the design phase between finance and policy rather than policy kind of springs out finance reacts and either you get something which is a flop or f- sort of fizzes too fast and then that becomes a different type of yeah and and, and thinking about um you know how taking that collaborative approach and that joined up approach we 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 all felt united pretty early on that the built environment I mean, property for want of a, another word should be the first focus of our work yeah. why in your view um, real estate and especially le- you know legacy real estate is such an important sector for the UK to focus on now. Yeah, I think that um, when you look at all the different sectors um, of the economy, there's obviously um, if you had, for example, um, huge legacy fossil fuel assets and high carbon industry kind of assets, then in a, on a sort of a first horizon basis, that is you know that probably becomes more of a starting point because you're if you're continuing financing in that kind of area in a sense there's kind of adding to the problem but in that sort of second horizon of transition it's like it's just the day-to-day well well where does most activity in the real economy happen day-to-day it happens in buildings a lot of which are around i mean and they're going to be around with us in 2050 i think the, the statistic is over 80 percent of what we've got now will still be with us in 2050 so it's really about well despite the fact that there will be some gains in the decarbonization of the power sector how can you now get the stock of buildings to a point where it is um it's it's not just zero carbon but it's also fit for the future um, so you're solving some of these multi-dimensional um, aspects of sustainability. I mean, um, I'm here in Norwich today and it's uh, it's gone a bit cold and rainy, but um, I've just come off um, some calls uh, with people in on the west coast of the US um, where they're in a devastating uh, heat wave. And, you know, it's it's you know, it's not it's not necessarily top of agenda right now. But given that the US broke through the barrier of um, spending more on cooling than on heating about five or six years ago and that's a one-way ticket thinking through that whole systemic change um, of of how are we going to kind of manage um, uh, energy profiles and and greenhouse gas profiles um, in the built environment where people you know spend most of their days yeah absolutely and 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 i guess for the uk as well we you know versus many other developed economies we we have an old building stock and uh, pretty diverse uh, building stock as well so it is it is a challenge for all uh, all countries i suppose but maybe the uk has that little bit more and needs to needs to get in earlier anyway i was thinking i was thinking beyond that to move on to the um to, to how you would characterize where we are actually are in the marketplace at the moment with uh with looking at decarbonizing property so i'm thinking of the, the you know the property owners themselves and then the other actors that yeah. work in support of those I and mean, how do you how would you characterize the marketplace as it stands today so i think that what's happened in the uk so uk is you know it's ahead of many 
uh, in lots of places in terms of decarbonisation. But a lot of the decarbonisation in the economy um, has been through decarbonisation in the power sector. A lot of the the sort of the the lowest hanging fruit of the the you know the, the decade that's gone by has been get, switching from coal predominantly to to kind of gas and renewables and that has had an impact in terms of the consumption within within um built environment but in terms of the fabric of buildings there's actually been not so much um uh, progress it's been relatively slow um uh, and likewise in europe if you looked at the kind of the last decade um retrofits or improvements to the fabric of the building when they've been done on average only kind of uh, actually kind of result in about sort of 10% energy savings. So in order to get all the way to sort of net zero, it's like, it's going to take a lot of these incremental retrofits. Um, we're only, we're only starting to kind of see with the, the, the buildings codes kind of like kind of starting to bite um, that these improvements will kind of come through the construction industry. Even there you kind of say, well, the future home standard, the future building standard won't really be guaranteeing the kind of the, the, the sort of the net zero type of buildings until another sort of four or five years time, yeah. um, which means that, that everything being built now. And I think that, that the current government says probably about 300,000 homes a year. So 1.2 million homes will be built at a in a certain a standard, which will then they'll all need to be retrofit probably for about 20,000 pounds a pop more than if they had been built right first time so there's a few things which we're definitely shooting ourselves in the foot from a construction perspective but as you say because it's existing building stock it's really about how do we get the the depth so to pivot from incremental changes you know um you know switching to leds and putting a bit of of, of lagging in the roof to this really kind of deep systems that you can actually go all the way having a, a property which is insulated enough to be able to kind of then switch heating systems to things like um, electric whether it's air source or ground source heat pumps um, and those kind of solutions which are going to be able to take out uh, the, the fossil fuels and get all the way to net zero and if we think about then um the maybe the awareness or maybe it's a step beyond awareness but the consideration in the marketplace of starting to take these bigger steps towards um, retrofitting and decarbonizing their properties i mean the, the the sense that we get certainly um in in our fairly widespread discussions around this area is of a market that's not yet engaging maybe with the scale or even the nature of this of this challenge uh, obviously there are quite a number of uh, exceptions to this rule and that's growing you know the likes of housing associations and larger yep. property investors are already pretty engaged and I, I hear this from colleagues in the bank as well but is it maybe a mistake to think about this all about being about better information and education and, and then you know banks can just stand by to finance the the inevitable flood that follows yeah that, I mean you the... talked about structural issues earlier it'd be interesting to hear you know your views on that so I think if you were to, you know, if you were to segment the, the the country into different communities, not just local communities, but kind of communities of interest, there's there's a few little pockets where there's deep innovation and there's some first movers, you know, designing, um, you know, zero carbon pods. There's um, there's uh, very innovative approaches like Energy Sprong, which does 
um, whole house retrofit uh, for, for some of the social housing developers. There's a few kind of solution providers around there, but for for most ordinary folk at the moment, whether they're you know householders or, or building pro- business property owners, um, it's quite mystifying. I mean, even if you get yourselves educated, um, to be able to kind of fit everything together is a really arduous journey with not with not particularly helpful signposting or kind of hand holding to be able to fit the bits together. Um, I was talking to somebody about um, the the current supply chain problems in getting an air source heat pump, and if you go to if you were to get an, uh, an inquiry and you ring up somebody who who does an air source heat pump, you're probably going to have a deep questionnaire, which will probably frighten you off because they they don't have the time for any time wasters. They want to know that it would be feasible. Um, and then you probably need to have such stringent standards on all the other bits of the fabric of the building that that it feels like a big keep out sign. That's not exactly the kind of signal that you want to be giving to um, business property owners or homeowners in terms of encouragement to be able to take action so so i think that what probably we need to do is to think about where are these things working where are the solutions and how can we plant those seeds and grow those seeds so how can we take some of these um these solutions and figure out what's going to drive the, the sort of the endogenous growth the growth that's going to kind of get things to be a little bit more familiar, maybe within a neighborhood or within a certain, um, you know, sector of the, the economy and be able to make that a little bit more commonplace, a little bit more standardized, a little bit less exotic um, and and then being able to kind of build from there. Fantastic. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And and then, you know, I think I mentioned other structural issues and, and our work in this area around retrofitting I think has pointed to a number of those, which ended up in a in a report um, summarising um, the issues that, uh, that seem to be holding the retrofitting market back, and then making some recommendations. I wonder if you could talk through. Yeah, I suppose you have to kind of do it in combination, don't you? Really, some of the issues that we're addressing through some of the recommendations that our report made. Sure. So, I mean, again, I mean, you're right to point out that I mean, Britain has got quite a varied housing and building stock. Um, you know, it's it's a relatively it's an old country, and there's 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 uh, uh, there's properties and designs which have kind of changed over the years. Um, there's therefore certain approaches and solutions which which kind of fit certain types of properties and not others. For many, and one of the things which we we covered in um, uh, the Bankers for Net Zero report that you were involved in was around a lot of modern properties, um, and they they tend to be a little bit boxier in design, perhaps. But they are potentially right for this energy leap. Um, so this was the energy sprong developed in, in the Netherlands for whole house retrofit, where you've got an entire fabric first strategy to encapsulate the house. So it's around cladding. It's, the, it's every part of the structure so that it's insulated to the point where you can actually install air source heat pumps and, and, and electrified heat to the point where you're not going to have a cold house. Um, and you can go from something which might be an F or a G label house all the way up to something which is virtually zero carbon. And in particular, for the types of houses that that works for the best, these kind of more modern properties, um, you know, sort of a 1960 example, it's, it's actually um, easier to be able to 
engineer cost savings in the value chain because there's probably about 40% of the entire building stock, which ultimately will this will work for, this, this kind of system. And if they can get to a tipping point, which might not be so many units, maybe 5,000 units a, a year, the, the engineered cost for a, for, you know, for a typical house, which might be at the moment £80,000, they might, through um, process automation and, and, and economies of scale, be able to, to, to get down to around about 35,000 per, per uh, unit. And at that point, you've got something which goes from being uneconomic to being actually that just fits in terms of the value that you can assign a, on a mortgage um, and, and then just works and, can, and then can scale out to millions of properties. So we've been proposing, uh, uh, in particular, using some of the instruments that government has set up already, like the Social Housing Decarbonisation Fund, to be able to kind of just get us over the hill, the brow of the hill, to get the volume in the sector when there the banks can take over when it reaches that tipping point where it's just like you know what this works economically now we can just we can just do these and do them in in volume so those kind of pathways are what we're trying to open up and this speaks to this idea in in the report that uh, that policymakers really need to front load the the subsidies or the other support that they give into the marketplace. I mean, I guess what we've been seeing, certainly through the course of this year, through consultations of various kinds, is a, a growing uh, list of, of requirements on uh, different types of property owners uh, to reach certain uh, energy efficiency thresholds by certain dates, for instance. But we haven't yet really seen uh, the the sort of scale and, and perhaps, as I say, the front loading of the incentives that might be needed to overcome some of the some of the sort of misalignments that, that I know we spoke to in the group. So yes. it might be that, you know, you're making a very significant investment in, in deep retrofitting, but you're not actually planning to hold on to that asset for more than five years or seven years or something like it, that. So, it, or exactly. you're doing all the investing, but your, your tenant is actually going to get most of the reward from doing that. And while that's a, you know, it's a, it's a good thing to do from a service perspective, it might not make the economic case for the, uh, for it, the owner exactly. there. Exactly. So I think this is where, and this is where it gets into the policy, the, the delicacies of, of making policy. So firstly, if you're going to do some of this front loading, well, social is a really smart choice because you've typically got long term landlords. Um, you know, they, they, they already think in the long term, they're long term owners. Um, you've got the instant social benefit that they're passing on to um, their tenants um, and it's improving their their overall kind of the quality of their stock. So so that would be a good place to start if you're going to be, you know, using um, anything to, in, you know, a specific sector to invest in. But you're absolutely right. The front loading is essential. In fact, if you looked back at the, the feed in tariff example with solar, um, it was probably true that in the in the very first days, um, it was it was front loading. It was putting something at a price which is which is quite heavy in order to get things moving. Mm. Um, it did get things moving, and there was an element where it's almost it like it took everybody surprised that it was like, oh, now we have to do this this very deep cut, and we, it was all sort of panic in the market. What should have 
happened is that people should have recognized well no i mean once you start getting it going through costs are going to start reducing so we can actually we can take our foot off the gas a little bit um and and if you've got something which is signals to the market and the market can plan for it then it's then it's not a shock and people can kind of recognize oh yeah i can see what we're trying to do here and and you can make those those plans in advance so i think that there's there's a way which from a treasury point of view you can actually get quite good value for money um for 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 an amount which is far less than they've put on the table at the moment for social housing decarbonization you could potentially get a solution which which might give you something which could be applicable to maybe 40 percent of the, the the building stock in the country won't do it all um and there'll be some older properties where you need to go maybe more step by step and there are other solutions uh, for step by step approaches but we've got to we've got to grab those opportunities now um and in particular, I think from, from a bank's perspective, the closer that banks can be to this kind of um, wave, if there are certain kind of uh, moves by the government to, to kind of lean into this, to get familiar so that the baton can be handed on when it is um, uh, ready to be commercially financed on a, on a pure basis without the government support. And then the banks who are more, most familiar with it can be quickest out of the blocks. And I think that's something which, which I think for, for, for you and your colleagues, I think could be, could be really interesting to, to, to kind of grapple with. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good observation. And, and actually, you also speak to the ability for, you know, for market actors to plan. And I suppose the other thing, which is maybe too obvious even to mention, is, is just having a sight of how government intends that policy should develop over the long term, um, so that those in the marketplace who, you know, are wavering over whether to start to prioritise this can, can see the requirements coming down the line, can maybe even see some of the shape of the sort of incentives and, and when they will be uh, tapered down over time as well. So this, this seems like, you know, a really important year to, to, to lay out the tracks and let people actually see uh, what they can expect and start to take more um, long term investment decisions in this in this area. Anyway, I, I won't keep on too much on that. But yeah. I was just going to say, finally, um, one question I, I always have to ask, I think, but as we're passing the halfway point of what must be a milestone year for climate finance, how do you feel personally about the prospects of driving effective economy wide action towards the, you know, the Paris 1.5 degree target, or at least here in the UK? Are you optimistic or pessimistic overall? I think that um, there's no question that there's that there's momentum. There's no question that um, that people are asking themselves serious questions. That they're that they're making genuine attempts now to um, to to understand what it is they should be doing, um, uh, and to to start putting plans into action. I think that the 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 the, the difficulty is how to um, to on the one hand um, be encouraging for the action which is being taken without being too critical but recognizing that it isn't yet commensurate with what science requires um, and uh, you know there was this report out just a few days ago from the climate change committee um, saying that well the government's got these you know it's got these quite ambitious targets out there which are published Unfortunately, its policies don't represent anywhere near the reality in terms of being able to meet the, the carbon budgets that it set for itself. Um, and it's just like, oh, well, that's 
that's quite difficult then. And so when you unpick things from a, well, how can you, for example, in, in, in a UK context, as a bank in the UK, set these targets when, you know, the, the, the government's own kind of science advisors sort of say, well, these policies won't get you there. So if they won't get the economy there, how can the bank then get there? Indeed, so I and, think... I, and I and I find the I find the optimist in me saying so. Therefore, um, we you know, logically we should watch this space, and we must see those kind of policies coming coming in train. Uh, let's let's yeah. let's hope that's the case at least. It's really interesting to hear your thoughts on that, James. And and I know it's a particularly busy time for you. It's, it's good to be in demand, of course. So thanks again for joining me in conversation and sharing those insights. Very welcome. Thanks very much.